0: I have this friend who spends a lot of his time in Washington, D.C., hanging out with politicians and diplomats. He understands how lonely it can be in that city that seems to run on power and titles. And so he makes himself available to these people simply just to be their friend. He never asks them for anything. He never talks politics with them. He just simply walks life with them. So he was at a a formal dinner and at this table, this was several years ago, he's at this table and, and seated at the table with him is the Reverend Dr. Billy Graham. Next to him is the outgoing chaplain of the Senate, Richard Halverson, Dr. Richard Halverson. Next to him is the incoming Chaplain of the Senate, Dr. Lloyd Ogilvie. Next to him is the Attorney General of the United States, John Ashcroft, and a couple other people, and my friend Dick. And next to Dick is this diplomat, high-ranking diplomat from Japan. His name is Koji. And so they're they're talking back and forth, and, and Koji reaches in his pocket sometime during the dinner and pulls out his card and hands his card to Dick. Now, that is an Asian custom that, first of all, connects you in in a friendship connection, but also it is that card that establishes your status in the place you are. And Koji hands him his card amongst all these titles, these doctors, and and, and he hands him the card, and the card has a bunch of titles because Koji is very, very important in Japan. So Dick looks at the card, and now the custom is that Dick must take his card and hand it to Koji. So Dick hands his card to Koji. Koji gasps a little bit and looks rather puzzled because on Dick's card, it only says Dick Foth and his contact information. And Dick says, Koji, is everything okay? Koji says, well, in my country, only man not having title on card is emperor. And Dick goes, well, there you go. See, for the emperor, the name is enough. So I was talking with a friend. In fact, I saw her here this morning. I invited her to come and, and, and hang out with us a little bit. And she's here this morning, and, and I had heard that she was a follower of Jesus. And so I, I saw her this week, and I, I said, are you a follower of Jesus? She said, yes, and I thought, that's pretty cool. And my question to, to her this morning is, why? Why are you a follower of Jesus? Most of you seated in this place, if I asked you, you would say, yeah, I'm a follower of Jesus. And my question to you is, why? Why would you be a follower of Jesus? If you would turn on television tonight or any night during the week, 8 o'clock and on, and watch the programs, I think we would discover that if we're followers of Jesus, Jesus would not be leading us towards that ideology. We wouldn't be headed that way. Which only then tells me that as followers of Jesus, we are counter-cultural, which at the least should be uncomfortable for us, and at the most, and especially in the cultures we heard about this morning in, in, in Turkey and, and in other places, could also be painful and even deadly. So why would we do that? Why would we say we follow Jesus? We as a community of faith have decided for these next 12 months, we're going to be very focused on making sure that we share life with people, what true life is. We call it CPR. And that we, in each individual in this community of faith, have, have intended now to connect with our friends to help them connect with Jesus. So the C of CPR is connect. Connect. We've also discovered that that's really impossible unless you have God's power in you, and so we're asking the Holy Spirit to give us enough power in, in being, being friends and doing what we do in life that, that the presence of God will be present with us when we're with our friends or with our family or wherever we are. The presence of God is there because you can't replicate the presence of God. It, it, there, there's only one presence of God, and you know that presence when you feel that presence. That's the P, power. Power. And that he has given us these resources, no matter how great they are or how small they are, so that we can generously share them and in sharing them, people understand the love that Jesus has for them. It's all about Jesus. Why? And now we've committed ourselves as a community of faith to spend 20 weeks studying five readings a week about Jesus. That every Sunday, one of the teaching team, and it's my, my privilege today to begin this and, and also talk to you next week, every week we're going to present you something about Jesus, and that's why I want you here every week, because there's going to be a part of Jesus that you begin to understand that will begin to transform you, because this whole thing is about Jesus. And so this week I shared a part about Jesus, and then you're going to read about that part this week as you read those five readings. You say, well, how can I get involved with that? Well, we have books in the back that will guide you through that. They're $10. You say, well, $10, that's for a book? I said, yeah. I'll tell you, yes, because it it takes you clear through Easter. And so we want you to get that book and then this week read the first five readings. If you don't have $10, stop by there and and say, I need it as a gift and we're going to give it to you as a gift. No questions asked, just please take it. But then I'm going to ask you to do this, that during these next months, you ask Jesus to give you an extra $10, and you come back and you go to the media desk and say, here's $10, and gift this to somebody else so we can share. And some of you can get books today, and, and you have enough money that you could just say, here's an extra 10 here's an extra 20 have this available for somebody else. So today, we, we are here, and, and, we're, and we're talking about Jesus, and the question is this, that who is Jesus. And why would we follow Him? So we're going to start to answer that this morning with a poem and a map. And the poem is listed in your notes and you might want to take those out, they're in your service folder. And the poem is written by Paul the Apostle. He wrote it to the church in Colossae in the first century and it goes like this. He is the image of the invisible God. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might have preeminence. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile, all, or reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. The poem has three carefully balanced sections. You'll notice those. And section one starts out, he is the image of the invisible God. He is the firstborn. This translation says for by him, but it actually is for in him. The the third section, in perfect balance, also says he is the beginning. He is the firstborn for in him. And the middle section holds the two outer sections together, looking back to the first and moves us on to the second. The context in which this poem comes is so vitally important because here's the context. Paul says, I am praying for you very specifically that three things happen to you. Number one that the incredible wisdom of God, how many here would just love to have wisdom so that whenever you face a problem, you already know the answer. If someone comes to you and says, I have this, this issue, suddenly you would know how to respond to that. Wouldn't you love to have that? Paul says, I'm praying that you get that, that this divine ability, this wisdom will come to you. Not only that, but I'm praying that you will have placed within you the very power that lifted Christ from the grave so that no matter what you face, you have the energy and the ability and the supernatural power to to meet that thing and overcome it. And I'm also praying that you will have this character of Jesus developed in you that people will look at you and say, I can trust her. Look at the integrity he has. Now Paul says, for that to happen... According to what he has just written, we must be able to know Jesus in his centrality and in his supremacy, that he is the center of all things and that he is over all things. And I'm going to tell you, until we grasp that, we will not understand what it is to truly walk with him or have the power to become all that he's designed for us to be. We must know that. I appreciate the words of N.T. Wright, who said, Christianity isn't simply about a particular way of being religious. It isn't about about a particular system of how to be saved here or hereafter. It isn't simply a different way of holiness. Christianity is simply about Jesus Christ. That's it. Why? Because number one, look at Jesus and we see God. it's It's like you driving your car and there's somebody in the back and you know somebody's in that back seat. You can't see them, but you just know they're there. You feel that presence. And you want to see him, and you're trying to figure out that, that who that could be. And then you look up into a mirror. And now you see the mirror image of the person that is behind you. Jesus is the mirror image of God. When we look at Jesus, we see who's in the backseat. That is why there's so many religions in the world, because we are all aware that there's someone around us. There's a presence. There's there's someone or something in the back seat. Someone is is surrounding us. And so all these religions are trying to figure out who he is. And so without seeing him, we're trying to describe him. We're trying to create him. We're trying to to make totems that tell us who he is. We're trying to make icons to say this this, this has got to be who he is. So to help us out, The one in the back seat sends an angel to a teenage girl and says, I'm going to show who I am. And who I am is going to come from you. And so in Bethlehem, this young teenage girl, Mary, gives birth to the image of God. Now, Jesus did not become the image of God because he was born a human. Jesus has always been the image of God. Now that he's a human, we get to see him. Now we know who's in the back seat, and we get to see his nature. We get to see how he acts. We get to see his behavior. So when we see Jesus, we understand who God is. So when they bring to Jesus this woman who's had an affair, and the the law says that she should be stoned along with the man that she's been with, but they so conveniently don't bring the man... And Jesus says to those who are ready to stone her, and this is God speaking, you that have not sinned, go ahead and throw the first stone. And there's only one person who's never sinned who could throw the stone, and it's God. And Jesus says to her, I don't condemn you either. Whoa. First thing we know is that God loves us in spite of how bad we are. And but then he says this, "But now go and sin no more, because not only is He love, but he is also holy, and doesn't allow us to stay in our nastiness. A leper comes to Jesus, and, and Jesus says, "What do you want?" He says, "If you want to, Jesus, you can heal me." And Jesus says, "Oh, I want to." And we discover that God wants us healthy and whole. He does. Some guys have a friend who's been crippled and so they, they bring Jesus because they hear that he heals and, and they bring him, but the crowd is so big they and they, they can't get to him, but they're so passionate, they climb up on the roof, they tear open the roof and they lower him down. And Jesus sees the guy, and the first thing he says is, Your sins are forgiven you. And, and the religious leaders say, well, You can't do that. And Jesus said, Just so that you know I have the power to forgive sins, I'm also going to heal him. Take up your bed and walk. And what we, deco- what we uncover by watching who Jesus is is this that God first wants to deal with what's in here, because we're never whole until this is taken care of. Jesus goes to a Hollywood party, a lot of addicted, nasty people. And they go, What are you doing? You can't hang out with them. And Jesus says, don't you know that a physician doesn't go hang out with healthy people? He only comes to be with sick people. And we understand this about God, that who we are and our brokenness and and in our immaturity doesn't offset him. He comes to us so that he can heal us and he journeys with us. That this God speaks to us in this human form and he says, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. That Jesus is telling us that God wants us to have life. When we look at Jesus, we see God. And I want to tell you that the more we look at Jesus, the more we understand our creator. That he created everything around us. It's by him, it's for him. He is the center. He is the boss. It's all about Jesus. All of it. And I find it so fascinating that I can stop and talk with people who have these huge barriers, Reasons why they don't believe in God and reasons why they don't like the church and reasons why things shouldn't be, and intellectual reasons and emotional reasons. And they're just, there's just this wall. And I, and I can take time journeying with them and I can start to talk to them about Jesus. And I will just talk to them about Jesus because I, I, can't, I, can't, I can't argue with them because I'm not that intellectually adept. I can't, I can't argue with them because they're just that brilliant minds and all I tell them is, here's the deal, here's what Jesus did. And here's what Jesus did for me. And I begin to see the walls come down. And I even see a person begin to weep, because here's what they discover. I've done my best to make life work, and it doesn't. And now I think I'm beginning to connect with who the Creator is, and what I discovered is that He loves me, and He wants to give me life, and that just blows me away. I mean, that's why Paul wrote these words to the church in Corinth. Corinth. He said this, it started when God said, light up the darkness and our lives filled up with light as we saw and understood God, where? In the face of Jesus, all bright and beautiful. And the amazing thing is when I know Jesus, I know love, and when I I know his love, it also chases away my fear. Perfect love casts out fear. So I've got three things that are bugging me this week, and, and I had to be careful that I didn't get panicked over them first thing that's bothering me is ISIS. It bothers me. The ruthlessness and the the horrific acts. Second one is Ebola. And how easily that could, in in such a pandemic move, just destroy so many people. The third thing is that I'm bothered by what our government's beginning to do locally as in Houston when it's telling pastors that they, that they have to okay, the government has to okay what they preach. And so I'm, I'm thinking about this week and, and I'm thinking about those things and then and, and I'm getting the sense that, that God's saying, well, what, what, about, what do you find about Jesus? What, what does that show you? And, and what I, de- I discover again is this, that Jesus holds creation steady. He's got this. So this, this is a great time of the year for a lot of people. They, they love the colors. And Pam was telling me this morning, she says just like suddenly all the colors just popped. And this is her favorite time of the year. We'll go on the street and, and, and she'll go, oh, look at the red. Look at the orange. Look, look at the yellow. Look, 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 look. I'm trying to drive. Just you look. And she's just, this is so incredible. This is so beautiful. This is so, she starts this in August. <laughs> it's her favorite time of the year. Mine is spring. I love new life. I love it when, it, when, when you see the new growth because you know what happens after spring, right? Road construction. That's what happens. <laughs> you know what happens after fall? Road destruction. That's what we get. So you look at the beauty of nature. And what Paul says is grab a hold of everything you see around you, one of those, one of those eerie sunsets, and you see that and you go, oh, it's so gorgeous. Jesus did that. It was his idea. He made it so that you could enjoy it. Jesus did that. You think about the miracle of birth. I remember when, we would, when Pam would give birth to, to one of our kids, and I would look at that, that child, and I'd go, Whoa, this, this is incredible, this is a miracle. Jesus did that. He wanted that to happen i I think of what, what 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 transpired so that that baby was born that there's this 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 thing called love and romance that that a man and a woman suddenly connect together and there they say we want to be together forever and and the two become one and they create this and and the great thing about it is he made that love to last forever, so that that it just goes on and on and on and on and on Jesus idea. He said, this is the way that I think it it really worked well. Pam and I have been married 38 years. I like the idea. It's good. It's 38, right? Okay. (laughs) That's why the Scripture says that he was the firstborn over creation. It doesn't mean that that Jesus hadn't existed before and suddenly he was birthed. It's not at all. This is a title. And the firstborn means, first of all, the, the, the priority in time that he was there before the rest of us showed up. Jesus was there, and he said, okay, now I'm going to create this. And so he has this priority of time, and what you see is his idea, his power. But it also means this, supremacy of rank. There's no one greater than him. Uh, who here is, is a firstborn son? Anybody firstborn son? Okay. Okay. So, so here's the deal. So, so Grant, you're a firstborn son. In the first century, a firstborn son, first of all, became the representative of the family for the father. No No other child would get that. You are the representative. You are the heir of everything that belongs to the family. And you are the manager of all the family assets. So, when it says that Jesus was the firstborn of all creation, it means that he was the father's representative and that he is the heir of all the father has, and he can do what he wants with that, and he is the manager of all that God has created. He is the firstborn. You say, well, Jesus, you've got a job to do because I'm not sure you're going to like what you get as an heir because what turned out to be so beautiful in the beginning is not so beautiful anymore. Look at the world around us. Look at the mess we find ourselves in. Of the 162 countries in the world, the major countries in the world, 162, presently only 11 are not in some kind of war or conflict. What a mess. In 2012, there were 8,500 terrorist attacks killing nearly 15,500 people. You say, Jesus, what a mess you got. Because you see, it's the firstborn's job to take care of this. Because the one who made it gets to fix it. And so we want him to fix it the way that the Jews wanted Jesus to fix the Romans. Jesus, get rid, get rid of all the evil people. And Jesus' response is this, how about this? Why don't I just get rid of evil and I save the people? So what he does is he puts himself in front of us, even us while we're in our sin, in our ugliness, in our nastiness, and he says, give me your best shot. And so what's thrown on him is the abuse and the violence and the poverty of this world. And he dies. He takes on himself the power of evil, its it's lies, its intimidation, its devastation, and he masters it. And he's alive. No human has ever done that before. Because every human up to that point that took on evil that way died. But this one, this one comes alive and masters it. And now not only is he a firstborn of all creation, he is firstborn from the dead. And when you say firstborn, the word is first, which means following first is what? Second and third and fourth, because there will be others coming. That there is this preeminence of life after death that now becomes universally available to this globe and to the people of this broken world. So this week, as I realized that it was a year ago this week that my father died, and I've had moments of grief, but I've had so many more moments of joy Because I understand that the giver of life has made it possible and I picture my father in this place with Jesus that is just beyond comprehension and it's because of what Jesus has done. It's Jesus and it's this life. I spent time with a friend who, who is, is walking through the pain of divorce and an affair, and, and I realized that, that although devastated, I'm watching as Jesus is putting him back together again. Because here's the deal, because Jesus is Jesus, there is nothing in this world that we can break that Jesus can't fix. But I got news for you. The whole idea is for us not to break anything, because there's a whole lot of pain that goes with that. So we busted up the world. Jesus said, I'm going to fix that too because He said, I'm going to not only let life come to you, but I'm going to change this world and I'm going to give you a new heaven and a new earth. The balance of this poem is this, that Jesus through whom the world was made in the first place is the same Jesus whom the world has now been redeemed. And that word redeemed is important because it just means to be deemed again. And what did he deem in the first place? He looked at his creation and he said, this is so good. And then we messed it up. Jesus fixed it. And then he said, let me redeem that. It's still very good. When Pam and I go on a trip, she has this way, this radar of of finding new malls. She just go, turn over here. I sense it's over here. Her spider sense it. Just go right over there. Let's go. So we will have this conflict when we get to a new mall because I want to park, go in and get this done with. And she says, no, no, drive around the mall so that I can survey the land. (laughs) She checks it out. She's starting to think about it. For her, shopping is not a task. It is an experience. Today, the ladies are heading down to Grove City. Pam will go and she will savor the moment. She will go to every store and feel every product. Not that she's going to buy it, but it is just her calling in life. It's just what she should do. <laughs> Me, I want to get it and go. So that's why I like it when you go into one of these large malls. I like those big signs that show you the diagram of the mall, and then it has this, real, this red dot, and it says, you are here. I love that because if I know where I am, I know where I can go. Pam, on the other hand, wherever she ends up, that's God's will for her to buy something in that place. See, our culture thinks that wherever I end up, I should buy into that. And if that doesn't really comfort me or make me feel good, I'll end up someplace else. And okay, I'm here. I'll buy into that. The Scripture calls that missing the mark and defines that as sin. Because if I don't know where I am, then I don't know where I can go. So we take the poem and we lay it down. And now we have a map of the cosmos. We have the story of creation, and we have the story of its rescue. And the first thing Paul tells us is that at one time, we weren't even on the map. We didn't even know where we were. So he says to them in Colossians 1, verse 21, once you were alienated from God and were enemies in your minds because of your evil behavior... God has an an obvious plan, but we're oblivious to it. We're we're just trying to buy what's in front of us and say, I think that, I hope that works. We're walking around and alienated from him. We don't even know we should be connected to him. He said, you're like those Gentiles worshiping idols. You think that thing right there is going to give you life, and you buy into it and realize, no, I feel empty again. We don't even know about Jesus, and the most remarkable thing happens is Jesus comes to us. Jesus finds us, and Jesus then is our, you are here. Paul says this, but now he has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you holy in his sight without blemish and free from accusation. He says, you're on the map. If you're on the map, you know where you are. And if you know where you are, you know where you can go. He said, it's come as a result of reconciliation. And Jesus describes reconciliation with three stories, and I'm going to give them to you in reverse order. The first is this. There's a son who abandons his father, takes his, 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 his inheritance, and he leaves, and he ends up broke and broken. He has no idea really where he is because he's in places he never thought he would be, and he knows one thing. If I can get back to my father, if I can get to him, I can start from there. So I'll go back, and I'll be a servant. I'll be his slave. And when the father sees him, the boy doesn't even have a chance to grovel the Father celebrates. And Jesus said, I just want you to hear the story because I want you to understand that when you and the Father get together, He parties and He provides. That's the stuff for some of you in this place this morning. Been, you just don't even know where you are. And Jesus has come to find you, to tell you that if you will reconnect, if, if you will, will be reconciled, the Father will party and He'll provide everything you need. This woman had this piece of jewelry and she lost one of the coins in the jewelry that represented the completeness of her marriage. It would affect her relationship with her husband. So she abandoned everything else so that she could find it. And she found it and celebrated. And Jesus wanted us to know that I will abandon everything else that I once had so that I can find you. I'll make myself nothing just so that I can hang out with you. Shepherd has sheep, and one of them is lost, but he's got so many others. Why would he even care? But he makes sure they're okay, and he goes out to find one. And he finds that lamb, comes back, and they celebrate. And Jesus wants some of you to know in this place today, why would Jesus care for just you? Because he'll leave everything else behind to come find you. Because that's who he is. He wants to be reconciled. That's what Jesus does for us. See, Jesus was and is the place where true God and humanity meet. Right there where Jesus died, right where His blood was shed, we get reconciled. The old life is gone, a new life has come. So knowing that, what should we do? Well, let me go back to what Paul said, but now He has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present. You're holy in His sight without blemish and free from accusation. Then he says, if you continue in your faith established and firm, not moved from the hope held out in the gospel. He said, look, you've connected to Jesus, stay in him because he's the center. He's superior. He, 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 is, he is the substance of what you've looked for. He is the head. He is supreme. He is your rescue. And you may be walking with Jesus or connected with Jesus and you say, I'm having these questions as to whether or not he is really real. And that's Okay. Can he can deal with the scrutiny. But just stay with him because Paul says, here's what's going to happen. Soon you will find that you are established. The word means that you have foundation, that when everything else is shaking, you're going, Hey, I'm okay. Then with Jesus, I'm okay. He said, You will be established and firm, which means you'll be immovable. Paul said, I know in whom I believed, and I am persuaded that he is able to keep that which I've committed, which is himself to the day that Jesus comes and gets me. So that that when I walk with Jesus, I know that he will take care of me. Jesus said, no one can snatch you out of my hand. I cover you before and behind. I've got you covered if you hang with me. So look on Jesus' card, what do you see? Jesus Christ, son of God. You say, oh, he's got titles. He doesn't need titles. In fact, the Scripture tells me that at the end of the age, every title will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus is supreme. So what's on your card? We're trying so hard to find our identity. I just, I'm, I'm, I, and you get with people who, who are doing well and you, you want to match that. Yeah, well, I've, I've done this and I've got this and this degree and I've accomplished this and we just want to keep piling and we're driven to pile and pile and pile titles on our card. How about this? Just put on your card, Jesus follower. You say, what kind of identity is that? Well, all I can tell you is all the people you're trying to press, their titles will bow to Jesus. So the title on your card if its Jesus follower means you got the best title. It has nothing to do with you, everything to do with him, but you get to enjoy it. What's on Jesus' card? I mean, he is the center of everything and he is supreme. He rules. What's on Jesus' card? Just his name. And his name is Enough. That's who he is. And my question to you this morning, is he enough for you? So let's do this this morning. First of all, I encourage you now to read about him this week. And every day, put him on your card. That's all I am, just a Jesus follower. It makes life a whole lot simpler. It really does. And secondly, this morning, some of you may, may have never put your faith in him. And he's the center of it all. So, where you are right now, I'm going to ask you reverently, and not moving any direction other than standing up, would you please stand? For some in this place, you've been afraid to come to Jesus because you thought or come to God because you thought he was going to annihilate you because of who you've been, and instead you found out this morning that if you come to him, he's going to party and provide for you. Some of you were afraid, why would, said, why would he even come after me? Because he comes after one, and you're that one. That's how much he cares for you. His idea. You and him together. So in just a moment, I'm going to ask you all to turn to each other and just say to each other, would you like to come to Jesus? And if that's you, say, yeah, I would. And then the person who asked you and you are going to come here and we're going to pray a prayer. We're not going to embarrass you or single you out, but it's a faith step to say, yeah, I'm I'm going to start putting Jesus in the center of my life. So in a moment, you're going to turn and ask each other. You may have asked that person that question before, but it's a new day. You don't know what your answer is going to be. And secondly, you say, I don't know the person. Well, you're about to find out who they are. And then we're going to pray together and and then make sure that all that you need is is taken care of and then we'll be on our way. But I can't leave this place without giving you an opportunity to know Jesus. So would you turn to the person next to you right now? That means you have to breathe through your vocal cords and form words. And just say to the person, Would you like to come to Jesus? And as that's you, just come and join me right here. Do it. Go ahead. I know there are some of you here. You say, But you're not playing that really cool music that makes me want to come down. I don't want the music to make you come down, I don't want Jesus to make you come down. <laughs> Right? This, this I do know. I do know there's some of you here that, that, that speaking to directly. All right, we got some folks. Come on down. Yeah. Yeah. And, and so as they're coming, I'm just going to say, if, if you said no but meant to say yes, just get down here. We'll wait for you. That's it. That's great. So come on over by me. Come on over. I'm nice. So what we're going to do is we're going to pray a prayer together and and solidify what Jesus is doing here, and then we're going to get you connected with some, some help. And these folks back here are going to pray that with you as an encouragement. So let's let's pray the prayer. And you pray it after me from your heart. It's straight from God's word. Say, Jesus, I put my faith in you now, for you promised that if I confess my sins, you're faithful and just to forgive me for my sins and cleanse me from all impurity. I trust you're doing that right now and that you're making me your child. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. That's great. So I'm going to dismiss this. Pastor Jason, come on over here. and I'm going to dismiss you all in just a moment as we do. You that are here, Pastor Jason has a few things to to help you with, and then you'll be on your way. If you came with someone, they'll wait for you. So this week, you're going to connect with people. And you're going to connect with Jesus. It's going to be a great week. Right? Good? You set? Now, to the King eternal, immortal, invisible, the only wise God, be blessing and glory and honor and power forever and ever. Amen. God bless you. Have a great week.